here with Jeremy Jenkins from All Things All People. Jeremy, thanks for uh, being with us on the Vast Podcast today. Gentlemen, it's an honor. I'm super excited. So good to have you. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you hear something in the background, uh, I don't know, someone's hammering something next door. Next door mm, so. it's, a it's a sledgehammer. So, I think. you know. <laughs> um, so, okay, man, it's good to have you with us. I think I, in fact, I know I first came across you. I think you had uh, Nathan Finocchio on the show. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think I started following you then. And it's maybe been a couple of months ago you posted something about um, doing some research into tran transhumanism and the metaverse. So before we jump into kind of all things, why don't you just give us um, give us like a explanation of like what you do, what got you into doing what you're doing and uh, mm -hmm. help us help us get caught up. Yeah, man. So, um, so I've been in ministry for like 11 years. I got out of college, um, and went straight into pastoring and, um, I passed, I, I grew up in uh, Wheaton, Illinois, which is right outside Chicago and then ended up in the South. I'm in North Carolina right now, Western North Carolina. And, um, got into pastoring sort of like, you know, the, the typical like student pastor start out and then, you know, you're waiting for greener pastures somewhere else. And, uh, and the, it turned out that, you know, I was, God had already brought me to the greener pastures. So I'm actually still at the church that I started at 11 years ago. And, um, the way all things, all people really started was in the midst of that pastoring. I, I came across, I was, uh, you know, bivocational for a time and, um, I was working as a teacher and or working in a school. Actually, I was a tech guy in a school and I had this kid who is an assistant of mine who was Indian and um, he, he and I hit it off, became buddies. And uh, I really wanted to, to share the gospel with him, but he, his family was devout Hindus. And um, I realized I had a Bible degree and, and even my degree says it's, you know, a bachelor's of science in religion, but I had no idea what Hindus believed. And um, nor did I really know much of what anybody believed outside of evangelicals. And, um, and so really became fascinated, not just with Hinduism, but really the question of like, so, so we have 7.3 billion people on planet Earth and Christians make up, depending on who you ask, depending on which groups of Christians you're including, we make up about 2 billion of those. If you disclude Catholics and Orthodox, um, you know, we have about 750 million Protestants. If you exclude main lines, which more and more it's becoming sometimes where you have to, um, you know, you... <laughs> You, you end up, you know, you end up with, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of what, it, what we would consider evangelicals. And so what that came down to is that I think it's a crime that most Christians in the West, at least, can't tell you what anybody believes other than them. And I'm firmly convinced that you really don't know what you believe unless you've at least come face to face with what other people believe too. Hmm. And so um, I started all things, all people, I think like two or three years ago. Um, and, uh, it's sort of morphed into what it is now, which is sort of like a multimedia ministry now. Um, but the mission statement is that we exist to explore the darkest places and worldviews for the gospel um, and to equip Christians to engage them with the gospel. And um, I, I, I just really, truly believe that uh, a life of following Jesus is a life of following Jesus into the dark. Um, we see that the, the, the apostles did that, you know, they, they went into the places where lepers were, they went to where the destitute and the impoverished were, but they even went to where the demonic oppressed were in the garrisons. Um, and, and this guy, this Jesus, you know, wherever no one else was willing to go, that's where he would go. And so, um, part of what we do with all things, all people, it's not the, the entirety of it, cause it's quite a bit of teaching. And as I mentioned to you guys, pre-show, um, I, like I do teach in a college, world religions. Um, selfishly, what I tell my friends is my selfish goal in life is to be the Christian Indiana Jones. Um, like teach and, you know, do the boring thing on, on, on this side of things, but then, you know, go into these wild places um, and, 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 and people groups. But only for the sake, you know, it's not just to have a sick Instagram. It's, <laughs> it's to be able to come back and teach Christians like, hey, I can read a book and tell you what Latter-day Saints believe or what Hindus believe, 
but I can tell you about my friends who are Hindus too. Um, I can tell you about the smells of a Hindu temple. I can tell you what the, the light reflecting off the marble floor in a, in a church of Scientology looks like when they're telling you about these crazy things that they believe in. So, um, so that's kind of what we do. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, we, we, we do podcasting. We're kind of trying to uh, break into the video world now, which is brand new to me. Um, last night I was at Clemson University uh, speaking and doing question and answer with the students there. Um, and so we do a lot of things, but it's, um, but yeah, so, but it's just, you know, get out, get out there and see what the rest of the world believes and then come back and tell the Christians, Hey, you don't have to be scared of these people. Um, and in fact, uh, we, we can be light in those dark places. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's what we do. Bro, I freaking love that's that. That's awesome. That is incredible. Yeah. When you like, <laughs> it, it, we use the term again before, like embed yourself into these yeah. different people groups. Is that really what you're doing? I mean, are you going there? as a seeker in, in a sense, or are you going telling them, Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm. So I'll give away some house secrets here. So I never lie. Um, and, 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 you know, in all honesty, so like I studied, uh, in my, in my master's degree was called intercultural studies, which is like an evangelical way of saying anthropology. Um, so like a true anthropologist would embed themselves probably for weeks, months, years with a people group they're trying to learn. Obviously, we don't have that luxury. Um, typically, what it looks like is that I go into situations um, either by myself or with some of some of the team that I work with, all of whom happen to be friends of mine. Um, and usually what we do, honestly, is we just kind of walk into things naturally. Most of these situations are not um, things that we need to be secretive about. These are usually places that are open to the public, um, a witchcraft store in Asheville, North Carolina. Like when we walk in there, um, you know. We, we don't volunteer any information. We let them qualify us. But at the end of the day, I'm going to share with them that I'm a Christian. I'm going to share with them. I might not say that I'm a pastor. Usually, My favorite go-to is um, that I'm a professor. And people will, people will trust professors endlessly, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> and so if you tell somebody you're a professor and you teach world religions, all of a sudden, you know, you get a little bit more credit than you would if you said you were a pastor. But no, we don't, we don't present ourselves falsely. Um, a lot of times, like when we were in Salt Lake City in Provo, we had a camera with us most of the time. And so what a good way to give yourself away, uh, <laughs> you know, when you have a camera, people ask a lot of questions then, but no, so we don't, we don't, we don't falsely present ourselves, but we also will tell the, tell the, tell the narrative that will help us um, embed ourselves most effectively. You guys know how it is probably even more so in Los Angeles, like if you start with, Hey, I'm a pastor, mm -hmm. nobody's talking to you. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but if you say, you know, Hey, I want to learn more about what you believe. What, what does this mean? You know, what is, what is that, you know, idol over there? What is that? The, everybody's favorite topic is themselves. And so, mm -hmm. uh, we found that like, uh, even, even with a camera or even with, um, like, Hey, we're Christians. Um, if we, if we express a genuine interest in somebody, they're willing to cut through that. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you've done, uh, Wic Wic Wicca, is that right? Yeah. Uh, Scientology, Hinduism, Mormonism, um, mm -hmm. and maybe a few others. So maybe it'd be cool just to like jump in and let's like take a few of these yeah. like mm -hmm. one by one mm -hmm. and yeah. talk about like what it is that they believe. Um, and I guess we'll just go from there. Yeah. But before we do that, can we talk about trans, should we talk about transhumanism? Yeah. I want to hear, yeah. Well, I don't even know what that is other than I think yeah. it's just like what using like science and te technology to go beyond like the human race as I, we know it. Yeah. Like when I hear transhumanism, I just think of, I literally go back to that Joe Rogan episode with Alex Jones where he goes on a whole <laughs> oh. rant about trans transhumanism. <laughs> yeah. I, I know that that's not the, the that's not, you I know, like, I like that you guys are well-versed in Joe Rogan. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I am, yeah. I am. <laughs> Jake thinks he's problematic in many different areas, but I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, he is, but that's okay. You know, yeah, but uh, that doesn't mean he's not fun to listen to. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so transhumanism. Um, at the beginning of the year, we we ended up not being able to produce much content on it, um, but we're we're going to. Um, you know, Jake, you say like you don't know what it is. That's that's understandable, and and actually, and actually. There's, there's a wide array of what people would say transhumanism is. Um, essentially, when it comes down to it, transhumanism really 
has been around for quite a while, at least philosophically. I think the technology is really just getting to the point where now it's it could even be a reality. But it's the idea that there there may or may not be one day like a humanity 2.0 that in some form or fashion is enhanced or further enabled by technology. And so that takes many forms. Uh, Honestly, like, you know, the biomedical field um, has been toying around with this for quite a while. And in some ways, quite admirably, you know, things that, you know, you know, if you think about even some of the medical advancements that we've had in the last 20 or 30 years, the ability to, um, you know, use synthetic materials in, you know, organ surgeries, things like that. Mm-hmm. But really when people talk about transhumanism, they're talking about more some like Elon Musk type stuff. Where That's like what I was going to ask. Is it like Neuralink? Yeah. Yeah. Neuralink. Um, and honestly, so there's a, there's a huge field of philosophy that has been around for quite a while where people have essentially been theorizing what this would look like one day. And um, it's beginning to take shape now practically in things like Neuralink in things like the metaverse. Um, and so we did some stuff um, with the metaverse, uh, at the beginning of the year where, um, myself and my team, like kind of, I mean, and and it's somewhat trivial because really when nobody really knows exactly what the metaverse is going to be, but like the idea of, of, of spending extended periods of time in virtual reality, in, in spaces that are, are there to replace, um, you know, your office there to replace a movie theater there to replace concerts things like that this is one small part of transhumanism now a purist within the transhuman transhumanism field would say that this is kind of like a joke but i firmly believe and actually um i never thought i would quote somebody like logan paul but um (laughs) whenever whenever we were doing research we came across this this video of logan paul of all people talking about how he thinks um that one day uh, the headsets are actually going to be something that we hold very tightly to our own identity. And he even uses the words, I think it's going to get to the point where it's it's going to be painful to take it off. And so I think no matter kind of what direction somebody is forecasting the transhumanism push, is I think what we're seeing now is that what it means to be human is up for debate. And in, through my research, I, I really struggled ascertaining where we're going to be in 20 or 30 years with the idea of if I, and I mean, you guys know, um, right, right now, identity of politics is front and center. Mm -hmm. The fact that right now in a world where I can't change very much about the way I look, I can change how I identify. Well, what does it mean in 20 or 30 years when I can change my avatar? I can change Mm. how you see me and perceive me like that to match an identity that I've constructed Uh, for myself. And so I think that the metaverse and transhumanism in general is actually going to be play a much bigger role uh, in the West, at least in, you know, um, a higher socioeconomic Mm -hmm. uh, population, because that's Mm -hmm. the other thing, you know, a lower socioeconomic population is not concerned with transhumanism. Um, But I think it's it's on the forefront of having to be, you know, any minister of the gospel is going to have to be familiar with this because, you know, 30 years ago, if you, you know, I'm, I'm 33. So let's just say even 10 years ago, if 10 years ago, if you had told me we would be where we're at with transgenderism, right. I would have laughed at you. Right. And so I think in 20 or 30 years, we'll be saying the same thing about things like the metaverse. I might f- sound like chicken little, the sky is falling, falling, but I, I kind of think I'm onto it. And, and a and lot of people are. I guess like transgenderism, when it comes to the surgeries that they're, you know, trying to push the envelope on now that is kind of like transhumanism in seed form. Like we are, yeah, we are I mean, taking yeah, the human body. Yeah. yeah. Philosophically, we're taking the human body beyond its, its designed limitations and, uh, making it to some kind of 2.0 out of it. Yeah. What, yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean, I think, um, I think every Christian should really wrestle with the question of, um, you know, who, who what, what is your identity? you know, and, and, and how, and how much of you could ever possibly be changed or deviated from. And, and we're like you said, seed form, I think we're seeing the symptoms of this in the transgender movement. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I understand those people, those people are genuinely hurting, you know, and they're genuinely struggling and I don't want to take that away from them. But, um, I think whether it's transgenderism, transhumanism, the answer is not change 
the most integral parts of you. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I've come to with that. So I guess that kind of opens up a conversation, um, about like, what are some of the ethical things that you see from a Christian perspective with the transhumanism movement? Like if that gets to, uh, you know, a, a pretty elaborate place, how should Christians think about that? Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's a tricky question because we never want to be opposed to genuine advancements, you know? So, um, I don't know if you guys like have an Oculus headset or have ever messed with them. They're awesome. They're, they're Mm -hmm. super fun. Like, and so I don't, I want to get ahead and say like, there, there are certain aspects of this, of virtual reality and the metaverse and transhumanism, which transhumanism is a much bigger conversation than just the metaverse and say, you know, we do have to be discerning to what are genuine scientific advancements that are actually going to better humanity and what are things kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden or, 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 you know, Lucifer in heaven, what are things that are us trying in some form or fashion to take the form of God? And I think the ethical things that Christians need to begin wrestling with now, long before their kid ever asks for an Oculus headset or whatever the iteration of it is going to be in time to come, is um, what does it mean to be human? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean to be me? And, you know, and if I'm if, if I or my child or my spouse or a friend um, or in the case of, you know, guys like us who are in ministry, you know, people that I'm shepherding and leading, if they're struggling with some form of identity crisis, um, how am I going to lead them through that? Because it's very easy and it's becoming easier to change the thing about you that you don't like into some other thing, as opposed to being reconciled, as opposed to maybe even Mm. repenting of something, as opposed to, um, you know, letting the light shine in your life in an area that you're just trying to hide or cover up. And so I know I'm using blanket statements here, but, you know, we'll see where the technology goes. And I'm, I'm not an engineer. Um, <clears throat> I'm certainly, you know, my grades in science were, were uh, embarrassing at best. But what I'm seeing more than anything is that theologically, the, the church, I don't think, is prepared for the questions that are going to come up, even in, even in the pews, even in the churches of just like, you know, hey, my son, um, <laughs> you know, my son's, my son's heterosexual. Um, he, he identifies as straight. He identifies as a man, but when he's in the metaverse, he acts like a girl, you know, it's like, we don't, we don't have a, a subset. We don't have a, a panel to put that information in yet, but we mm. will. And, mm-hmm. um, and in what typically happens, as we're seeing with like the LGBTQ movement, mm-hmm. is that culture beats us there. Culture determines how we're going to talk about those things. Mm-hmm. And then the church catches up and uses the language that that is being loaned to us by the culture that we're trying to disagree with. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that Christians ethically, mm-hmm. like Jake, like you asked, like need to begin asking those deep questions. Like what, it, you know, what is a human and, and, and what what makes us human? Um and where, where are the boundaries there, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, I, and I, and I just think even familiarizing that people, you know, with the idea of like, Hey, there, there's going to be some big changes societally. Like if you, if you follow Elon Musk on Twitter or, or wherever else, you know, which is going to become a lot easier in these next few days, I think, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, is uh, every time that guy opens his mouth, there's some new crazy yep. idea that he has that potentially could change you know, humanity's mm-hmm. uh, existence here on planet earth. So I just think Christians need to, ha- to pay more attention first and foremost to what's happening. Yeah. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. Well, I thought that could be a whole episode. On I know. But maybe we'll leave it there for now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mike, is there anywhere you want to start? No, I mean, it's all fascinating to me. Okay. So I'm, I'm literally trying to gauge time going, I, I don't want to run out. Yeah. So what do we do first? Yeah. I would say let's start with, um, I would say let's start with Wicca, mm-hmm. New Age, yeah, um, all that kind of stuff because I feel like that's um, pretty pertinent to our context here in LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and so give us the rundown on. Yeah, on you guys all see that. that a lot. You guys see that a lot in Los Angeles, I suppose. I, I feel like we do, um, but I guess I need you to start talking about it, and maybe that'll mm. help kind of mm-hmm. like connect. Maybe more, yeah, maybe more indirectly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I have this theory. 
that, you know, when I was in school, <clears throat> all I ever heard about was atheism mm -hmm. and, um, you know, guys like Dawkins and Hitchens and Sam Harris and whoever else, you know, these guys were the ones that like, when I was in my theology classes were like, we, we were like, how do we answer the new atheists? Mm -hmm. And then I got out of college and I started doing ministry and like searched up and down, couldn't find a freaking atheist anywhere, you know, um, because genuinely, I think culturally we're moving towards what I call spiritual agnosticism, which is this idea that we're seeing a mass exodus out of the church in Western culture, specifically um, from like millennials on down to Gen Z. And I don't think they're becoming atheists. I think that they they have this void of spirituality. They believe in ghosts. Actually, I think Pew Research or Lifeway did this survey that says like most people believe in ghosts. Most people believe in some form of an afterlife. Most people believe in some form of like karma or like you reap what you sow. But they don't. But they're 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 leaving you know gospel centered churches in droves. They're they're turning more and more to in some cases like a soft form of like new age um, belief. So like what you'll see in new age is a lot of crystals, um, metaphysical things. Like um, we have in my tiny little town here in Western North Carolina, we have a shop in our on our main street um, where like they sell like incense. And I was in there a couple of weeks ago and the girl was telling somebody like, oh, this incense drives away negative energy. Um, you know, you can carry, you know, little, um, you know, fetishes, which is like a fetish is, uh, is like, you know, a little object that is, you know, blessed or cursed in some, in some fashion. So you have that like in, in very much, it's a, it's a gateway into more of the occult, which is hugely identified with Wicca. Wicca is a particular subset of neo-paganism and basically coming out of the 19th and 20th centuries, mainly in Western Europe and even specifically in England, there was this movement and the person who's typically identified with it is a guy named Gerald Gardner. Gerald Gardner, I think he was a civil servant, like maybe a postman or something like that. Um, but he became uh, infatuated with uh, the old religion, as he would say, and a lot of people even still today would say, of the pre-Christian uh, naturalistic religions. And so like, think like, you know, spirits and natural spirits and spells and witchcraft. And so Gerald Gardner and the community uh, surrounding him were instrumental in bringing back into the mainstream this idea of neo-paganism, witchcraft, Wicca. And it's become hugely popular now. Um, and I think largely because, like I said, we have this movement of spiritual agnosticism of people who say, I don't know what I believe, but I still believe that there's something out there. And um, and so witchcraft and things we like with it can, can take many forms. The most open forms, which I'm sure you have plenty of in Los Angeles, um, is, you know, there's people who, um, you know, you can go into these witchcraft shops. I don't recommend that for everybody, but um, you can go into these places and um, buy candles that, um, you know, will bind the tongue of somebody who's slandering you or causing you harm. You can cast spells, um, you know, that are going to bring about financial blessing. Um, you know, you guys are probably familiar with like what we typically call like voodoo dolls, um, in, in the occult, those are called puppets. And so there's, there's dolls that you can buy and spiritually tie them to somebody else and either use that to uh, harm them or better them. And it's all centered around this idea that as long as I'm, you know, it, there's this thing called the Wiccan read, which is as long as I harm nobody, I can do whatever I want. And, and so it's, it's playing into the idea that there is this spiritual world that we can't see. And it's, in its run and it's dictated by spirits. Many of them are animistic spirits, natural spirits, um, goddesses, especially Wicca is very much influenced by feminism and um, in a feministic mindset, which gives a lot of priority to a, a divine goddess. Mm -hmm. And so um, with that, you'll find, I think the Wicca and, and the community surrounding it's predominantly female. Um, and so, so yeah. And so it's a growing movement right now and it looks different everywhere. Every, a coven, a group of witches will have um, their own teachings, will have their own, um, you know, book of shadows is what they would call it, kind of like mm -hmm. a spell book. And, and, what's, and what's crazy, even as I'm listening to myself uh, say this, 
is it sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds crazy, mm-hmm. but it's not like it's happening, you know? And, um, and, and it's happened. Like, like I said, I'm in small town, North Carolina and I have it around me. And so, you know, for you guys in Los Angeles and other listeners who are in larger metropolitan areas, um, it's certainly happening and it's very attractive to young people right now because why do you think that is? Ah, man. Well, so talking to this woman, uh, one time who, who is a, a leader in the Wicca community in the Southeast, I kind of asked her that question and she said, I think it gives people a sense of control over their lives. And I think I agree. Um, you know, I, I'll say this too. I think the church has done a really bad job in the West and in America of um, explaining to Christians that there is a spiritual world. Like we think of heaven and we think of God high and lifted up on his throne. And then we think of the world that we can see, taste, touch, and smell. Mm -hmm. And we are never taught holistically about this spiritual realm that is inhabited by angels and demons and, you know, the Holy spirit and things like that. And, um, and I think that that lack has actually led some people to look elsewhere for a mm-hmm. better understanding of the world that we live in. And so when you combine that with the aspect of control, um, these are young people who don't like the, you know, what they deem. I got asked, you know, recently by a college student to justify what they deem to be the genocide at Jericho. Um, they don't like that God could allow such evil. Um, you know, I heard the other day, Ricky, Ricky Gervais joking about how, you know, God wasn't at the Holocaust and, you know, and, and I think culturally overall, um, we have a lot of people who don't like the God of their invention, you know, the Judeo Christian God that they think we're talking about. And so they Mm -hmm. turn elsewhere and they turn to faiths, they turn to groups and religions that give them a sense of control. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think we're seeing it, like I said, especially in young people. And I think also too, in a progressive movement um, that views evangelicalism as very conservative and stilted and in the past. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I think it's, it's a confluence of a lot of different cultural movements, but control probably uh, being the biggest keyword there. Is there a link between Wicca, witchcraft, you call it, with new age? So, you know, yes and no. I, I was I was talking to this one guy who was a big proponent of like crystals and things like that, who would take great offense to the idea that anything he does is, a, is associated with witchcraft. Um, mm-hmm. So no, not inherently, but they kind of come from the same school of thought, you know, and it's that neo-pagan school of thought. And what I've seen quite a bit of is that if you ask most people who are active in a Wicca, in a community um, where they're practicing Wicca and other, you know, occult practices, uh, many of them started with the new age and new age can be anything. I mean, it can be anything that, you know, tarot cards, um, you know, Ouija boards. I know that it sounds, you know, to a listener who, who it sounds like I'm kind of like, you know, old talking about games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just like old man saying everything the kids are doing, but this is real stuff, you know? And so, so no, there's no direct link, but I I think there is a soft one for sure. Well, back up for a second, right? Cause I kind of like the, the umbrella to these things is neo-paganism. So when we're talking about worldview, worldviews have to answer certain questions. Um, things like origins, things like meaning, morality, destination, where are we headed? Can you talk briefly? And I know, um, this might be hard to talk briefly, but could could you talk briefly about like how neo-paganism answers questions like those, those kind yeah. of like real big questions? That's great. Yeah. So I love that because I think one thing that most people are lacking in, in trying to do this kind of stuff and have these kinds of conversations is we start with culture. We start with like, so what do they believe? Yeah. You know, or what are the spells that they do? The spells actually aren't answering anything. So the mm-hmm. worldview, if you break it down and you did just there for a second, like, you know, cosmology, you know, origins, morality, success in life, um, you know, those types of things. <clears throat> a lot of this comes down to what, what, what somebody in the occult community would say is that this stuff is older than Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, you know, that's why it's neo-paganism. 
Um, I mean, most scholars would say it's not. Most scholars would say that this ha this has nothing to do with any of the pagan beliefs that you know pre-existed Christianity in the West, and that it's just a simple recreation by people who are infatuated with that. So, with that, what I would say then is it's more tied to a postmodern school of thought, which mm -hmm. is ultimately there is no meta narrative. Um, ultimately, you know. And it's a kind of a warped thing when you if you were to ask people in that community to explain. So where do you think we came from? Um, you know, what is, you know, our moral compass is I think you're going to get a lot of the same typical postmodern answers that, you know, you probably right. get, you know, from somebody who's not in this community, but is bought into this postmodern mindset is that ultimately reality is whatever you deem it to be. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's pretty rampant in that community. And that's also why from group to group you know, you'll find, you know, one group practices their brand of Wicca or new age metaphysical beliefs one way. And another group might practice it completely and utterly different. And I actually asked somebody one time, you know, I was like, it's such a fragmented group. And it really stems back to Jake, like what you just asked like with worldview is ultimately if we got all of you in one room mm -hmm. and asked, what are you trying to achieve? Don't you think that many of you would actually be at odds with one another? Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. And the only answer to that is yes, you know. And um, and so I think that we see a very fragmented mm. worldview, and by no means is it monolithic at all. Um, and I would even say most people, and this would probably be true about a lot of Christians too, but most people are not even aware of the worldview implications. They're just trying to, you know, fix the the void in their heart or mind. Mm -hmm. And somebody mm -hmm. told them that this particular brand of, you know, new age metaphysical occult thinking will do that. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, let's do Hinduism. Yes. Uh, I'm tempted to do Scientology, but I kind of feel like most people know Scientology is a big joke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll say this then about Scientology. Um, it is. You know, and, <laughs> and period. I, and I okay, let's move lovingly. on. I say that lovingly. You know what I mean? It's it. So I'll be honest. Like in a, I'm sure you guys have your own versions of this. Like when we do things like like when I do stuff on Hinduism, nowhere near as many likes or views as Scientology, and that's kind of sad for me because I'm like, there's literally a billion Hindus. You know, right. one seventh of the world's population. And there's like five Scientologists now. It's right, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's and why I'm tempted to do uh, Hinduism because I feel like yeah. people are much more likely to to yeah. interact with people who have Hindu beliefs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, so Hinduism. So quickly, can I just ask one 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 yeah. question on the Scientology thing, just because it's yeah more curiosity. So it's dying. Has that sort of been a result of I guess all of the like really negative press that's come out like in the last several years, and then also my question is like, what is it, what is it? I mean, don't they like part of what, at least it seems like Scientology that sort of the power the foothold that they still own have is just in like the, the property that they own and yeah. in sort of the, the financial network that they have built. Mm -hmm. So although less and less people are Scientologists, yeah. you almost wonder um, like what the next steps are for them. Yeah. But I, I've thought, no, I thought the exact same thing. Um, because they are uh, losing people in droves, and in you know you guys hit on it. The bad press is has to be the biggest issue. It's it's. I mean, people will fall for lies all the time. You know, people mm -hmm. will fall for you know screwy cults all the time. You know, mm -hmm. um, and Scientologists actually have done a better job than most cults in presenting themselves. You know, if you go into a church of Scientology, if you go down the street to the celebrity center. Um, it's going to be super clean in there and the people are going to be super nice. They're not going to be what you think Scientologists are like at all. Um, but ultimately the bad press has, has uh, crushed them and they're trying to address that now. Actually, if you notice, you don't hear much about Scientology right now. Um, like they're keeping their celebrities, you know, more hidden and really they're focusing on, on quite a bit of humanitarian efforts right now. Got um, it. You know, and so I think that I think we won't see them go away anytime soon. And like you mm, said, interesting, these guys are like real estate tycoons. They own mm -hmm. tons and tons of property all over the world and they're leveraging that. And um, and so they they have more money. They have more money than like 
I'm, I'm I, probably most religious organizations. They, mm-hmm. they have more money than. So I think it's going to be a long time till they disappear off the radar, if ever. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. Jeez. Um, so let's start with Hinduism. Let's start yeah. with uh, those bigger questions. Mm-hmm. Like wh- where do we come from? Yeah. How does how is meaning and morality found, and where's this yeah. whole sh- where's this whole shtick going? So, so I you know, the the professor in, in me will have to start with this. So Hinduism is itself a misnomer in the sense that when the the British took over India, um, there's this river in northwest India. It's actually what what mostly in Pakistan now because Pakistan used to be in India, and it's the Indus River, and when you know, people started coming into to India and trying to explain who these people were and what their religions were. They called them Hindus or Hindus. Mm-hmm. And so basically Hinduism, as we know it, the billions of Hindus is actually um, a combination of thousands and thousands of uh, the religions of the Indian subcontinent, which um, I've, you know, I've been there quite a few times and I had a friend explain it to me one time that every 30 kilometers, something about the religion changes, just like something about the food in the language changes. And so you can't talk about Hindus um, generically at all. You will always be wrong about some group. If you say all like if if somebody ever says all Hindus believe in blank, they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, but, you know, we can approach those worldview questions, you know, from a from a bigger subset with that qualifier that you know somebody's going to say no you're you're wrong about that but mm-hmm. um, the the biggest things that you have to understand with Hinduism and so this this you know you guys probably I mean you guys have millions of Hindus in Los Angeles um, but even in places like where I live I tell people all the time it sounds like a cliche but most of the convenience stores and gas stations in small towns like mine are run by Pakistanis and Indians who mostly are Hindu. Or if they're Pakistani, they're usually Muslim. But um, so they're all around you. But most of them believe in karma. And so we begin to get to some of those worldview uh, questions of morality. Uh, karma is the cosmic um, force that dictates uh, that if what you do in this life will come back to you in this life or in lives to come. And so karma is an impersonal force that dictates your morality. And so if you are going doing good works, um, if you're being a good person, then that will come back to you. And I mentioned in lives to come because most people realize that Hindus believe in the cycle of rebirth or reincarnation, which is called samsara. And so those two things largely dictate the way anyone who identifies as a Hindu lives their lives. And most people like we can make it fancy and we can make it about temple worship and idols and, and, you know, yoga and things like that. But at the end of the day, most of your run of the mill Hindus are concerned with just being good people. And the question of, well, what, what is a good person? Right. Um, That's where I was going. Yeah. They're, they're not as concerned with a, like with a systematic explanation of that, like we are, um, you know, they wouldn't, you know, if you guys are familiar with somebody like an apologist, like Frank Turek, the moral argument's not going to work on a Hindu typically because morality is fluid to a certain degree. So they would probably agree, agree with quite a bit of like cultural relativism, which whatever is good in your situation, that's what you should do. And so, um, so a Hindu is more concerned with just being a good person, whatever that means for you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so they're certainly not postmodern because they were, they were this way long before postmodernism was ever a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the East, uh, and you'll find this in schools of thought of like Buddhism and East Asian thought, um, Confucianism, Taoism, Shintoism in China and Japan, um, that they are not as concerned worldview wise with a hard morality like we are, like that there is a, is there, there is a clear right and wrong. I think many of them would say right and wrong is going to change from situation to situation. The the issue being um, be doing the right. And so actually, interestingly enough, I explained to some college students last night at Clemson University, some of my friends who are Hindus have explained to me one of the perils of karma is that um, obviously, you know, they're to do good works and they're to be good people. But if their motivation of doing good works is then to receive good karma, then in turn, 
they're then they're being selfish and thereby might actually be the recipient of establishing bad karma. And, <laughs> and so it's a vicious cycle and it's very hopeless in all honesty. You'll, you, there's another ideal in, uh, in Hinduism. The, the four that you'll hear is samsara, um, which is rebirth and reincarnation, and then uh, karma, then dharma. Dharma is essentially uh, just the word for like religion. It's the way. So it's like the particular school of thought that you fall into or what does your particular religious practice look like? But then the fourth big teaching within Hinduism that people should be familiar with is this concept of moksha. And if you're familiar with like within Buddhism, the idea of nirvana, mm -hmm. it's similar. And, and moksha for most Hindus means the release from the cycle of reincarnation. And that only happens after many, many, many lifetimes of establishing good karma and likely going up the caste system. And if you asked most Hindus what they thought of moksha, if they think of it at all, they do not think that they will ever reach it or anytime soon. And, and is so that most like Hindus a... that I know don't think about, um, you know, afterlife very much. They don't right. think about morality very much. They're literally just trying to get through the day being good people and hoping that one day in the many, many lives to come, you know, they might receive the release from that cycle. And, and is so, that release, is that like a, like an immaterial arrival? Like they're, you're now just purely spirit. So, so it depends which school of thought in Hindu. So, so if you're monistic Hindu, so monism is the idea. So like most people would call, um, Hindus polytheists, which they certainly, they certainly are, but many Hindus actually believe in an all powerful, supreme, but completely transcendent and unknowable God called Brahman. Okay. Um, and within that school of thought, um, they would believe that moksha is becoming unified with Brahman and really, so in a sense, it's almost ceasing to exist. Um, but like the spiritual ethereal part of you would continue on in oneness with Brahman. Um, there's particular, there's particular schools of thought of Hinduism, you know, where, you know, you, you'll go to a, a type of, you know, afterlife or something like that reminiscent somewhat of like a Christian idea of heaven, um, or like, uh, Islamic paradise, but predominantly is it's the idea of being unified with, uh, Brahman, uh, Buddhists. Um, and of course Buddhism came out of Hinduism. And so there's a lot of intermingling even to this day And Westerners, like Americans love Buddhism. Like I would say right. we are hugely influenced by Buddhism in the West, um, especially in a new age school of thought. In Buddhism, nirvana is, is the ceasing to exist. It's the extinguishing of self. And so um, I think we're starting to see that impact a Western way of thought more and more. Are there kind of like some, uh, some like bastardizations of Christianity going on in that regard, like where it's like becoming one with Christ? Yeah. Uh, is oh, yeah. that, I don't want to be off base here, but is that kind of like a, a Richard Rorian direction type? So, okay. So I don't know enough about Richard Rohr to say what he says. I've seen a lot of Richard Rohr hate recently. I do know that he's a mystic. So I will say first and foremost, there are a lot of people, whether it's Richard Rohr or not, who are really getting dangerously close to preaching, um, what they call uh, spiritual disciplines, mm -hmm. which to me sounds a lot like Buddhism. Um, the idea of detaching from your desires, the idea of detaching from yourself. I mean, this is the Buddha himself saying this, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, and, and, you know, I, I'm not a hater, you know, if you want to stretch the, the way that somebody who does yoga stretches, um, that's one thing, you know, go stretch, you, you know, like I told you guys before I got on, I was, I was golfing, you know, um, do whatever you want to do. But the reality is that what we, what we're seeing more and more in the West is that things like yoga, things like transcendental meditation, things like, um, like what you just said, the, the becoming one with Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when the Bible talks about that, it, it's not literal. Like, it's not like a unification of spirit. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not monistic. It's not that all of these things, I mean, 
in Christian mysticism, we're becoming dangerously close to becoming pantheists. Right. Is that the idea that all things have the divine in them? Right. And that's, so, that's the thing right there. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think Rohr has said things like that. I am aware uh, of some of that. And so, yeah, no, I think that kind of stuff is dangerous because, you know, the Bible doesn't say that, you know, I mean, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, there is a divide between creation and creator. Um, he's near to it. He knows it. He wants to be known by it, but he is not the creation. And so this whole monistic idea of like, I'm going to extinguish myself and become one with Christ. A lot of it, like you said, bastardization, um, it's certainly a deviation at, at best, you know, um, of the Christian teachings um, of following Christ. And, and I don't know if these people are intentionally borrowing, borrowing from Eastern mysticism mm -hmm. um, or if they're just being tricked, but it certainly, it certainly sounds like it. It's there, yeah. Let me come back to the karma thing really quick, and this is my last question yeah. about Hinduism. Um, so you mentioned their moral, essentially moral relativism, although that might be like an overstatement, but there, there's some kind of uh, fluidity there when it comes yeah. to like what's wrong and right. Mm -hmm. Um, and you mentioned that karma is an impersonal force. Yeah. Are, are those two things linked? Like, help me put that together in my mind, because mm -hmm. like, I think we as Christians, we have, uh, objective morality because we yeah. believe in a personal God who hands us that mm -hmm. um, morality. Yeah. So because they're impersonal karma, are those two things connected? Um, in the sense that like, or, you know, so you're saying like it's fluid. Um, are you saying like, is there a standard that they're looking for or something like yeah, that? Yeah. So like they believe in this Brahmin God, right? But Br yeah, Brahmin yeah. hasn't handed them uh, yeah. like well, through so some they have teachings. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, th so I mean, if you, so they have scriptures, you yep. know, so like the Vedas and the, the Priyanas, the Bhagavad Gita, I mean, they have teachings that do dictate for them some things, mm -hmm. but in the finer details, um, in, especially in day-to-day -day life, um, what's going to dictate it more than anything is what is best for them and for their family, for their community. And so I actually had someone tell me when I, first time I went to India and, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been, but I mean, we've all kind of seen images of India. There's horrible poverty there. And, and if there's somebody who lives in India or is Indian, please don't be offended by, by what I'm about to say. This is not a complete indication of all Indians. But they said that part of the problem is that um, there's so many people on the street who, who need help, um, beggars, and many of the Indians, many Hindus, I should say, don't help them because they look at the situation that they're in in this life and say, well, then it must be the karma from your past lives that brought you here. So then, right, we're talking about a moral standard. What's the best thing that you can do for that person? Let them pay for that bad karma. And so you don't see a lot of benevolence in Hindu culture because people who are in bad situations, if you rescue them out of those situations, oftentimes you're robbing them of the opportunity of establishing good karma by paying off the bad karma that brought them there. And wow. so I just use that as one example to say, like, it is very fluid and it's not dictated by a lot of standards. Now, they do, like I said, they do have scriptures, but the way that Hindus view scripture is completely and utterly different than the way, um, you know, uh, Jews, Christians, Muslims view scripture. Um, it's very much, um, you know, a guide for life. It's very much like, how did we get here type things? But you won't see a lot of Hindus carrying around the Bhagavad Gita, um, you know, in their backpack, like you guys probably have your ESVs or something like that, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, but no, so that it, very fluid. Yeah. And I think honestly, much of the time is it's very much based off of like, what do you think is best? What does your mm -hmm. family unit, your community think is best? Mm -hmm. And we're going to go with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. Fascinating. What, um, what do you have coming up next? I know you were just in Salt Lake city. Um, yeah. are there some other, so obviously you've, you've kind of gone deep into, yeah. into, uh, Mormonism, Mormonism and, yeah. um, what, what yeah, else so, are you, what, what else are you planning? So we're, we're horribly behind, um, 
I have to get on editing all that stuff. And uh, we're going to, you know, put it, be putting out a podcast for the base camp series on Latter-day Saints. Um, with that, we're starting uh, what's going to be called ATAP Academy, um, which will be on YouTube and our website, which is essentially going to be teaching through, um, you know, a, a wide range of topics, really starting off with a couple um worldviews and religions, um, coincidentally starting off with Latter-day Saints, where we talk about uh, a lot of the questions even you guys have asked, like cosmology, where did we come from? Um, you know, what, uh, you know, when you go into some of these situations, if somebody's listening to this and they, they have a Hindu friend or a Scientologist friend or whatever, you know, a great question to ask them, what, what's your authority? And that's actually Jake, like some of the questions you've been asked about Hinduism is kind of that. It's like, mm -hmm. well, where do you derive the authority that you're living your life by? Mm -hmm. So we'll be doing a lot of teaching on that. Um, and then, you know, speaking engagements, things like that. Hopefully, you know, we're coming to an end of a college semester. So hopefully in the fall, I'll have the opportunity to visit some college campuses and, and talk about this kind of stuff. College kids love talking about this kind of stuff. Many of them grew up in, in churches where their pastors were afraid to talk about stuff. So now they get to college and they're just like, mm -hmm. you know, empty vessels uh, to be filled. And, uh, and so we try and do some events where we, um, you know, go to some of these college ministries and give them the opportunity to ask hard questions and, and all that. So, yeah, we, we, I'm probably missing some things, but we, you know, planning trips, hopefully, you know, on our list is uh, get out to Los Angeles because you guys are a melting pot. It'd be hard to it'd be hard not to get some good footage out in Los Angeles. So, so yeah, yeah man. A, whole, a whole array of things going on. Cool. Where can people find you online? Instagram, YouTube. Yeah. So we'll get YouTube up and running here soon. Um, mm -hmm. I've been too slow to do that. We have um, a nice uh, Instagram community at all things dot all people, and you can check out all things all people dot org. Um, all the articles that I've written uh, are there, plus, um, you know, information about speaking and things like that. Um, and then if somebody wants to reach out to me individually, uh, they can hit me up, Jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, Instagram's always good, though. Awesome. Amazing. Jeremy, thank you, man. Thanks for talking with us. Thanks, brother. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. you guys, I love what you guys do. And uh, thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. Talk to you soon.